Welcome to Triumphant's Podcast with Pastor Perrin, preaching on the Word of God. Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and go down to verse number 6. You got it? No? Sorry, it's just causing me a distraction, so I need some some help. Y'all at home, y'all just keep praying. I told y'all it's it's still awkward, still clumsy at times, but we're doing the very best that we can. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6 from the English Standard Version, it reads like this. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Verse number six again, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This morning from this passage, I would like to title our text, Bouts with Doubt, Bouts with Doubt. This is the word of God for the people of God. And so those of you in the room, would you say thanks be to God for me? Fred Sanford was one of the many nicknames I was given when I played football in high school. I got this particular nickname because during preseason of football camp, after the first two or days, two, excuse me, first day or two, of practices, I would inevitably come back to football practice one day and I would be walking like Fred Sanford. I saw one of my neighbors the other day walking like that because he's gotten back into CrossFit. Um, But I would be walking like that because of how sore my legs would be from all of the hills that we would have to run and the sprints that we would have to run and just practice in general getting my body back into shape for football season. Um, And so I I did not like these times at all. Matter of fact, the first time I went to camp, I I insisted to my dad the first day after practice that I was not going back to play football again. In my mind, there was just no way that I could go back and practice and get back out there on the field because I was just in way too much pain. There was no way that I could practice again. But I think that my coaches and my dad, they must have been conspiring together because when I told my dad that I was not going to go back out there, my dad got me into the car and we, he took me back out to school so that I could go back to practice. And somehow the next day I wound up back at practice, but I got there late because I was trying to plead with my dad, dad, I cannot go back to practice. I'm in too much pain. And so getting there late, practice had already kind of started, 
And my dad dropped me off at the top of the hill. And when I got out the car, I wobbled my way down the hill looking like Fred Sanford. And all of my teammates, all of my coaches, they were laughing at me. And it was sad, but it was funny at the same time. And so because I was walking the way I was, I just knew that my coaches were going to let me sit out that day. But they did not let me sit out. They told me to get back out on the field. Because even though the pain I was in made me doubt that I could keep going, my coaches knew that once I got back out on the field and I began stretching out my muscles and starting activating my muscles as we warmed up, that my muscles would begin to warm up and they would begin to loosen up so that I could keep pushing even though I doubted and wanted to give up because I was in so much pain. I'm preaching already in case y'all don't know. Sometimes you got to encourage yourself. Preach on, Pastor P. Preach on. I just wonder if there's anyone else who's experienced that and been there in life before where you doubted that you could go on because of the pain and the predicament that you were faced with. You were in so much pain that you just knew that you could not go on. Perhaps you even began to doubt God and you began to, 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 to your trust in God and your faith in God began to waver. Well, if that has ever been you, our pastors this morning, as troublesome as, and off-putting as it is to some folks, it is actually a captivating passage because it deals with this notion of struggling and tussling with our trust in Jesus and even having bouts with doubt. One of the many reasons I love God's word so much is because God's word addresses and deals with any and every situation, issue, or concern that we can think of. If we'll search and study God's word intently enough, we can find that the scriptures help deal with all of our most pressing issues of life, all of the raw emotions of life, even those feelings of doubt that we often try to suppress or we're told to ignore or dismiss. God's word, it can speak to every concern that we face. That's what I hope to, pray, to, to convey in our preaching is that God's word touches on every temptation known to man. God's word is sufficient to address any situation, any dilemma, any heartache that we can deal with. And in these verses, we have on clear display that John is wrestling with doubt. He's having a bout with doubt. He sends word. It says in verse number two, he sent word by his disciples and said to say to Jesus, are you the one? John is doubting whether or not Jesus is the one. And I think we need to pause right there because I believe it's worth noting and it's fascinating to note that the gospel writer Matthew and also the gospel writer Luke, they both include this incident when John the Baptist has a bout with doubt. Why would the gospel writers include this in their accounts? Why would they not leave this out? Some people would suggest that 
all we, after all, we don't, we don't need to give way to doubt. We don't, we don't want people to doubt. We want people to just believe and to just have faith. You just need more faith that there's no room or no place for doubt. But that's not what the gospel writers understood by including this in their accounts. It's clear that this is included because it acknowledges that doubt is real. Doubt is natural. Doubt is human. To doubt it is human. To doubt is natural. And if we're honest, many of us dabble in doubt from time to time. Some people over this past year, with all that we've had to deal with emotionally and mentally and even spiritually and physically as a result of the pandemic and all the other crazy things that's been happening in our world, many people have had some serious bouts with doubt over this past year. And I want to let you know that if that is you, that it is okay. I know that we don't say that much in church to doubt is okay, but it's okay to bout with doubt. But I do want to tell you that you don't have to let your bouts with doubt derail you. In fact, one thing that this passage helps us to know is that if dealt with delicately, our bouts with doubt can drive us to a deeper understanding of Jesus. And even more so, it can drive us to a greater experience of joy in Jesus. Whew. If you don't get anything else, perhaps you will write that down. That this passage helps us know that if we deal with our doubts delicately in a healthy way, our doubts can drive us to a deeper understanding of Jesus and even more so a greater experience of joy in Jesus. And this morning, if you're so spiritual that you never doubt, that you never have a question, that your faith never wavers, I'm sorry that this message is not perhaps for you this morning, but perhaps you can file it away and refer back to it when you need it, or if you think that you'll never need it, perhaps you can use it to help somebody else who is struggling with doubt, because the truth of the matter is that if you look around, you'll see people who are struggling with doubt all around you. I was discussing just the other day with some friends of mine via text that one thing the church can do better about is creating healthy spaces for people to wrestle with their faith and their bouts with doubt. Because where better to wrestle with your doubts than in the house in the, among the believers of Jesus? If we were to deal with our doubts in a healthy way, they can actually be a wonderful tool of discipleship and spiritual maturity in our lives. I mean, after all, y'all, this guy who has been the trailblazer of Jesus Christ was struggling with doubt. I mean, it's a real struggle, y'all. And this is the same John who had professed, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the world. And this John, who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the world, he's struggling with doubt. The same John who saw the Spirit descend from heaven and rest on Jesus, and then to hear the Father speaking audibly from heaven, this is my, beloved, this is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This same John is struggling with doubt. 
The same John who said that he must increase, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease, is struggling with doubt. The same John who had preached that Jesus was the Christ, the same John who preached the gospel, the same John who was so committed to the gospel to not compromise it that it landed him up in prison. It landed him up in prison because he would not compromise the truth of the gospel for political expediency. And so it landed him up in jail because he would not compromise. This same John, he's in prison now because he has preached the gospel and here he is struggling with doubt. I know you might be holier than thou, but John the Baptist struggled with doubt. And if you can identify with John the Baptist, I think it's all right. Because John the Baptist understood that the gospel had both spiritual and social implication. And he's in jail. But here it is that while he is in jail, he's in this prison predicament. And the walls are pressing in on him. And it is making him doubt whether or not Jesus is the Christ. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in a place where it seems like the, the, the life that you're living, the, the thing that you're going through, it is trapped you in. You feel like you're in a prison. You feel like you're in a predicament that you cannot escape, you cannot get out of. And it is during those moments that we often have questions of doubt, don't we? I think it's interesting that in this passage, in verse number one, most people think that it's a throwaway verse, but Matthew says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. And then it goes on to talk about that John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus Christ, and he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the one? Here it is, is that Jesus his ministry was still going on. He went from there and he kept on teaching and preaching. And yet John was in prison struggling with whether or not Jesus was the one. Y'all, church was still going on. And yet John's situation was crumbling all around him. It's like he's saying, y'all, how is church still going and how is Jesus' ministry still advancing while my situation is falling apart? John is wrestling. He's saying, all of this ministry stuff that Jesus is doing, all this church stuff, is Jesus even real? Listen, all that church stuff, is it even relevant to the pain of my situation? All this church stuff that I do, it doesn't seem to have any relevancy to the pain of my situation that I'm going through right now. I don't know if you all can sense it, but this situation is real and raw. I know some of y'all have said before, the pastor doesn't preach. He doesn't scratch where I'm itching. I, I, I don't know that I have a word from the Lord in my situation. And that's what's happened with John. He's like, listen, church is still going on, but it's not relevant to my situation. Jesus' stuff, is it even real for me? Do you see that I'm in a predicament where I feel like I'm in prison? And truth be told, some of us have fallen away during seasons of doubt. 
when it seemed like the church stuff and the preaching stuff and the teaching stuff and the Jesus stuff had no relevancy to my immediate, pressing, painful situation. It seemed like it had no relevancy to the prison that I can't get myself out of. And we need to know how we deal with people who are experiencing doubt in those moments is so important because it can reach someone and bring them back to Jesus or it can wreck someone and push them away from Jesus. That's why this passage is so important because John is dealing with doubt while church stuff is still advancing, but it has no relevancy, he thinks, to his own situation. But Jesus deals with him delicately in order to reach him, not that he would be pushed away. Jude, the 22nd and 23rd verses, they say something really interesting. Listen to what it says. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show others mercy with fear, hating even that their garment would be stained by the flesh. Come on, y'all. We've got to have mercy with folks who are doubting. We need to be a community. We need to be a, a, a place where people can come and wrestle with their faith, that they can wrestle with their questions, that they can wrestle with their doubts, that it's a safe place. And truth is, most people who will acknowledge They will acknowledge that they've experienced some moments along their faith journey, some moments of bouts with doubt. If we're honest, all of us have, have had some moments where we question, God, where are you in this moment? And even this trailblazer, John the Baptist, winds up in a season of doubts when you think he would be the last person to doubt. I can't think of one trailblazer that didn't have a moment of doubt along the way. A moment when they wanted to give up and not get back out on the field because the pain that they was going through was so great that they thought that they could not go on anymore. Notice what it says while John was in prison. It says that it was when John was in prison that these thoughts started creeping into his mind because it's often during those painful moments, our moments when we need deliverance and our moments when we feel trapped, that it squeezes out our deepest and darkest concerns and questions. See, this dilemma is different than the scenario that we looked at last week. Last week, it was a matter of pride and humility whether or not he would be able to swallow his pride and allow Jesus to increase while he would decrease. But this week, it is not a matter of pride. It is a matter of comfort and preferences. See, even if we can submit our pride to Jesus, it can be a whole other thing to submit our preferences to Jesus. Jesus, I'll humble myself if you just 
Don't make me uncomfortable in the process. Just don't put me in a painful situation in the process. And now here's John's predicament. John's predicament is that he is in a prison and it is not where he wants to be. And he is in a predicament where he is puzzled. And also notice that it was hearing about the deeds of Christ that planted the seeds of doubt. It was hearing about the deeds of Christ that planted seeds of doubt. Right there in verse number two, it says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word. What in the world? He's, while he's hearing, whether, he's hearing about what Jesus is doing, he's asking, are you the one? See, sometimes Jesus' resume doesn't even seem to be enough for our situations because we're just waiting to see when is our deliverance going to show up next on his resume. But here's the first thing that I think that we need to take away from this passage. It's that bouts with doubts are real. To struggle with doubt isn't uncommon. It isn't foreign, and we shouldn't shame people. We shouldn't make people feel bad because they may be struggling with doubt. If it happened to John the Baptist, we are all susceptible to it. But what we do with our doubts is important. We see John do something that is important with his doubts. Look at verse number two again. When John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to Jesus, are you the one? John takes his doubts to Jesus. <laughs> Do you know that Jesus can handle your doubts? Do you know that Jesus can handle your questions? Do you know that Jesus can handle your honesty? Jesus can handle you bringing your doubts to him. I can't think of a better person to bring your doubts to than to bring your doubts to Jesus. In fact, I think we all should allow our doubts to drive us to Jesus. Whatever your issue, take it to Jesus. Whatever your concern, take it to the Lord in prayer. Whatever your doubt, take it to Jesus and ask him about it. It is my prayer that whatever is troubling you, whatever is causing doubt and is driving you uh, away from Jesus, that you would not allow it to drive you away, but that that doubt would drive you towards Jesus. That it drives you to the foot of the cross. That we draw Near, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou has died. But it is important for us to know that there is a difference between questioning God and asking God questions. See, it is okay to ask God questions, but don't mess up and start questioning God and questioning his goodness and questioning whether or not he is God because you can just ask Job what happened when Job asked God and put God on trial. God said, I got some questions for you, Job. Where were you when I created this? Where were you when I put all of this in place? See, we can ask God questions, but be careful about questioning God. Every once in a while at home, I 
one of my four boys, they'll try to start sniffing themselves. And, and I don't mind them asking me questions, but they might start to question me. Now, listen, I don't mind your questions, but don't question me. Don't cross me. And that's what we need to understand, that there is a difference between bringing our questions and our concerns to Jesus. But don't try to put Jesus on trial. But bring all of your concerns. Bring all of your doubts to Jesus. The story is told of old preacher G. Campbell Morgan, who pastored back in the 1800s in England, how he had enjoyed success as a preacher when he was young. 19 years old, he was already on the preaching circuit and doing well. But then he was starting to be attacked by some doubts about the Bible because he started reading books by Charles Darwin and John Tyndall and Thomas Huxley. And so he remembered listening to and reading these books and the debates that they were having, and he became more and more perplexed and confused. And so what he decided to do was he canceled all of his preaching engagements, and he put all of those books in the cupboard and locked up the door. And he went to the bookstore, and he bought a new Bible, and he said to himself, I am no longer sure that this is what my father claims it to be. I'm not sure if this is the word of God. But he said this, I am sure of this, if it be the word of God, and if I come to it with unprejudice and an open mind, it will bring assurance to my soul itself. What was the result? The Bible found me, Morgan said. See, here it is, is that he knew that if he would dedicate himself, if he would take himself to God's word, that God's word would come alive to him. Take your doubts. Take your concerns to Jesus. The promise of God's word is still true. From Jeremiah 29 and 12, it says, If you will call upon me, and if you will come and pray to me, I will hear you, he says. You will, if you will seek, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know what the trouble is? Is that we don't seek God with all our heart. The trouble is, is that we're actually lazy. When we have our doubts and we have our bouts with doubts and we have our struggles, we, we, we want God to give us a quick answer. But are we actually taking our concerns to Jesus or not? We don't want to dig into God's word. We don't want to spend time uh, um, covering over God's word, meditating on his word, because that's too, that takes too much energy. That takes too much effort. But I want to let you know, if you want to... Jesus to handle your doubts and you want him to answer your question. You've got to go to God's word. And the truth is, is that sometimes we need some help. I love how the fact that when John the Baptist could not get to Jesus because he was in prison, he got his two boys to get to Jesus for him. And sometimes in our lives, we need some other folks to help us get to Jesus. That's why we have a small group ministry called Living Free. Because it is a discipleship ministry that helps us in groups support one another as we seek to grow closer to Jesus. See, you don't, you don't want to have to sign up for the small group, the living free small group class. But listen, if you want to draw near to Jesus, if you have some doubts, you have some concerns, you have some areas in your life where you need him to give you some answers, sign up for living free. Go do it right now. Miss the rest of my sermon because that will be a help for you because sometimes you can't do it by yourself. 
You pick up God's word, you can't understand anything. But we have people who have been trained and who have been praying for you and who will walk alongside you to help teach you in God's word so that you can draw near to Jesus. But are you going to be lazy and say, nah, I'm good. Don't do that. Allow your doubts to drive you to Jesus. If you're ever going to grow, and especially during your bouts with doubt, you've got to deal with them in a healthy way. And you have to take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. And sometimes when we take our doubts to Jesus, though, we don't always get the answer we want. We don't always get the answer we want. You hear what Jesus says? He says to send word back to John the Baptist that I'm doing what I've been doing. He says in verse number four, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. See, sometimes the, the answer that Jesus gives us is not necessarily the answer we want. But in this answer, we get something really good. Because what we hear is that Jesus is still working. Jesus is still performing miracles. Jesus is still helping the blind to receive their sight. He's still helping the lame to walk. He's still cleansing lepers. He's still taking the, 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 the plugs out of death's ear. He's still raising up the dead. Here it is, is that Jesus is still working miracles. He's still a miracle worker, even if he's not working a miracle in your situation. Reverend Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, in his treatment of this text, he said, you, may, you and I may have cried out ever so desperately, only never to the receive the answer we want. But look around, and you will see in your life signs that God is at work. Though not as you requested, he is still at work. When we are ready to conclude that there is no God anywhere and hope is dead, we ought to consider how it has been with us in the past. If a soul must doubt God's goodness, let him first feel the warming sun on a cold and chilly day. Here's the point, folks, is that there are reasons around us to know that Jesus is still at work. Even if he's not working in our situation, doesn't mean that he's not working at all. See, we may not always get the answer we want, but it's always the answer that we need. Tim Keller says, God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you want them to be answered if you knew everything God knew. God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you want them to be answered if you knew everything God knew. John the Baptist's doubt, it drives him to Jesus. It drives him to get an answer that perhaps he didn't want, but it was the answer that he needed. And I want to tell you why it was the answer that he needed. Because, in fact, what John was wrestling with here is that he had heard what Jesus had been doing, but he was expecting Jesus to do more than what he was doing. His expectations of Jesus weren't aligned with Jesus' purpose and plans. John's preferences were not aligning with Jesus' promises and Jesus' plans. 
And when our preferences aren't aligning with Jesus' promises, it causes doubt and spiritual delusion in our life. Y'all know there are moments when we want this from God. And when God does not give us what our preference is, we throw a fit with God. But what happens here is John was expecting Jesus to do more than what Jesus had promised he would do. See, in these moments, we need to return to the essence of Jesus' life and ministry. In moments of doubt, we need to come back down to the bare minimum. When Jesus doesn't seem like he's doing enough, we need to be reminded of what Jesus came to actually do. Because a lot of times we tend to overcomplicate things. We want to place our expectation and our preferences on Jesus when it may not be aligned with what Jesus' promises and purpose are for his life. Listen to what Jesus says to report back to John. What Jesus says to report back to John, it is the simplest form of Jesus' ministry. He is performing miracles and he is preaching the good news. The simplest form of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is saying, you need clarity about what I have come to do. I have not come to be your genie in a bottle. I have come to perform miracles and to preach the good news so that I can save souls. And when your wants don't align with my will, that doesn't mean that I've stopped being Jesus. Somebody needs to hear that. That just because your wants don't align with Jesus' will, it does not mean that Jesus has stopped being Jesus. The question is, will you be tripped up? Will you be offended because Jesus isn't being Jesus like you want him to be in that moment? That's where verse number six helps us to understand. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If you won't get tripped up over the fact that Jesus is Jesus and not what you want him to be, then that is a pathway to blessing. That is a pathway to experience a deeper, deeper level of Jesus and a richer experience of joy in Jesus. Are you going to be tripped up over the simplest form of Jesus? Are you going to be offended by that? Are you going to be offended when Jesus is just being Jesus? Because he's not doing more than what you expect him to do? Because you want to put your plans on his plate? Don't get tripped up over that. Because the pathway to a Blessed life is the one who does not get tripped up over Jesus being Jesus. That's what he reports, tells them to report back to John. He says, John, I'm doing what I came to do. Are you going to be tripped up over the fact that I'm just doing what I came to do? If you're not tripped up over that, then you will be blessed. You will experience true joy. 
And what this is trying to teach us is that in our moments of doubt, in our seasons when we are battling and we are having bouts with doubt, we need to see Jesus clearer. We need to get down to the bare minimum of what Jesus' ministry was all about. We need to be clear about what the gospel is because a lot of times, y'all, we get tripped up over a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of Christianese, and we never actually get tripped up over Jesus. A lot of the reasons why people don't come to church isn't because of they're getting tripped up over Jesus. They're getting tripped up over all the stuff that church folks do. What we have to present to people is what Jesus came to do. He came to preach the good news, to die for our sins so that we would be able to have new life in him. In those moments of doubt, y'all, we need to be driven to Jesus. We need to see him clearly. We need to strip away all the other things that would trip us up and say, Jesus, I just want you in this moment. I want you in your purest form. I don't want you because of what I can get from you. I want you because I want you. That's why the hymn that we sang earlier is so important. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. In our moments of doubt and confusion, what we need is a clear picture of Jesus and not to be tripped up over that. In your moments of doubt, allow it to drive you to Jesus and allow it to help you see Jesus clearly in your life. You'll need some help getting there. Sign up for Living Free. Use this discipleship tool as a way to draw near to God. Our Living Free sessions, they start in May. You have an opportunity to go online and look at the classes that are being offered so you can see which one fits you. And if none of those fit you, you email us at livingfree@thetriumphantchurch.org, and we'll try to get a class scheduled that will help minister to what you're going through. But you need some help to draw near to Jesus. Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show himself to you in the purest form so that you can trust him, so that you won't waver, so that in your moments of doubt, you can deal with them in a healthy way. Draw near to him. I love what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Y'all, if you'll seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart. Yes, it might be a struggle right now. Yes, it might be painful right now. But allow those painful doubts to draw you to Jesus. If you seek him, he rewards those who diligently seek him.
Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Triumphant Church, visit us at thetriumphantchurch.org or you can contact us at 301-559-2200.